In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, that the Lord Jesus Christ makes this statement, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are, are, are few. It's our great privilege this morning to have two of the few laborers among us, Randy and Kitty Trail. Thank you so much for being here, here on Lottie Moon Sunday. It's our great privilege and honor to, uh, to welcome Randy and Kitty to Calvary Baptist Church. They've served as IMB missionaries to sub-Sahara Africa. Uh, if, uh, they served in several different places, in Rwanda, in um, Meridius, which I had to find a map to find, to find that spot, uh, in Botswana, and uh, they've served the Lord faithfully for, for many years, and it's our great privilege to have you with us. They've also served the IMB in many capacities here in the States, including their work now at the Office of Global Personnel at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. So Randy and Kitty, again, thank you for being here, for taking the time to share with us, to encourage us, and to challenge us that the gospel is for the world. I'm going to pray, and then I, I can uh, discern quite rapidly that Randy is a wise man because he's going to let his wife share first. So we're going to pray together and then um, give them our full undivided attention. Father, in the scripture, the Lord Jesus said that the laborers are few. And then after he said that, he said, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest sends out laborers into his harvest. So first of all, Father, we recognize that it is your harvest, that you are faithful that your word is alive and it's active, and that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, whether that's someone in Rocky Mount or in Rwanda or in Botswana or in China. The gospel is for all people. We thank you for the privilege it is for us to host and welcome and to hear from two who answered the call to go out into the harvest. So as they speak, as they share, Father, first of all, I pray that, that they are warmly and, and, and know how much they are loved and esteemed in, in this church family. And as they share, Father, I pray that you would enlarge our vision for the world. As they share, Father, I pray that you would encourage our hearts, that we are recipients of the Great Commission, and, it, and joyfully we would obey in our giving and in our going. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you join me in welcoming Kitty Trail this morning? Good morning. It is a pleasure to be here with you today. And on behalf of the Trail family and 4,800 plus missionaries worldwide, I want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our team. It is because of your praying and your giving that we are able to go and without you doing your part here in the States, we could not be doing what God has called us to do. And so you are very much an integral part of missions. As you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, 100% of that offering goes to support the IMB missionaries worldwide. Um, I was, you know, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me that God uses ordinary regular folks to be missionaries and the more you get to know us the more you'd understand just how regular and ordinary we really are I can remember sitting in a pew like some of these young folks here on the front couple of rows hearing missionaries speak when I was a, a child and my parents worked up in Wisconsin for a stint and um, we they helped start a church up there so I had missionaries in and out of my life for many years as a young child and it was there that God began to plant the seeds 
of going to the nations in my heart. I had no idea that it was happening at that time. So I encourage you as, as mothers and fathers and grandparents to begin praying for your children, praying for them that God would call them out. It is a sacrifice, but it is a great privilege, and it is our responsibility, and it is also a command of the Lord that we are to go. And so we don't go in fear. We go because the Lord has called us to go, and you are so much a part of that. It is because of your, your support that we have been able to go um, and serve in lots of different places. I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Never dreamed that I would be an international missionary. That was the farthest thing off of my radar. Um, but I was serving as a summer missionary up in Alaska one summer, and that was where God called me. We were singing a song. We were in a little Indian church up above the North Pole, and uh, we were singing a song, Wherever He Leads Me, I'll Go. And I thought, mm, I can't sing that because I'm really not willing to go wherever he leads me. I was in rebellion at that point because I felt that tug of the Lord asking me to go, and yet I was not willing and yet I knew I couldn't sing that song without just singing a total lie to the Lord. And so, Because I didn't want to be one of these Lottie Moon characters, one of these little old ladies that went off to China by herself and never had a family. I didn't want to do that. But you know what? God knows who we are. He knows the things that we are afraid of, the things that we can't handle. He knows our desires. He knows our passions. He knows how to use us because he made us and he loves us. And he wants us and gives us the privilege of being those who can take the gospel to the nations. So it was only a year later after I, I committed my life to saying, Lord, okay, I'll go wherever you lead me. I have no idea what that means, that I did land up in Johannesburg, South Africa. At the orientation for the journeyman program, which is the program that we went out under, it's for college graduates under the age of 26 years, I met my husband. He was serving in the country of Liberia. And as you can see on the map up here, um, Liberia is up in the west part of Africa. Pat, you got that one? <laughs> well, it's not working. Well, anyway, Liberia's up there somewhere. There it is. Randy was going to Liberia. I was going to South Africa down in the southern part. We went as singles because God had called us as individuals as singles. After we finished our journeyman term, we ended up back at Southwestern Seminary, and that was where the Lord brought us together, and five years later, we were married, and it was just very natural for us to move straight from seminary to a, uh, an assignment overseas. We spent a year in France before we went to the country of Rwanda back in 1986, and um, it was in Rwanda where we began to grow our little family. We have three boys, and... Um, I just want to say that we have three Lighty Moon success, success stories because you have provided so graciously and so abundantly that our children have had wonderful education. They're walking with the Lord. They've finished college. All of that is a part of Lighty Moon Christmas offering. My kids got out of school having out of college with no debt toward tuition because of your giving and going and, and allowing them to go. And so they were raised mainly. Um, they were all born while we were in Rwanda. And so after um, we were in Rwanda about almost eight years, you probably heard that a war began and uh, eventually a, a horrible genocide happened in that place. And yet God continues to work there because we were able to, along with lots of other believers, um, just plant the seeds of the gospel and believers became known and some of them survived. Many of the people we worked with did not. But the gospel is for all nations, and so the nationals in Rwanda were able to continue, even after that horrible experience, to share the gospel. 
and to grow the church even in Rwanda after a horrible genocide. After we left Rwanda, we went back to Richmond, Virginia for about three years. And then while we were there, Randy was doing personnel selection and um, he came home one day from work. And we were now back in America, kind of living the American dreams. Like, wow, got three kids, got the house, got the dog. It's great. We like being back here. He said, I think the Lord has got a place for us to go. And it's called Mauritius. And I said, oh, no, he wants us right here. We like it here real well. We've already done that missionary thing. We're, this is good. But, you know, there again, I kind of had a little period of rebellion, and I just um, wouldn't re really even pray about going to Mauritius for a couple of weeks because I knew that the Lord would call us. And once, it did, once again, he did. So we went to the island of Mauritius, which is way out, as you can see, in the Indian Ocean. It's about 1,000 miles off the uh, coast of East Africa. And we raised our boys there. And um, unfortunately, it's a Hindu government, and they were not favorable to missionaries. So after about eight years, we basically got kicked out. And then the Lord opened a place for us to go from there um, to Botswana, where we did university student work. And that's where we were when the Lord um, called us back to the States. IMB asked us to come back and work in what we're doing now. And it's a great privilege for us to be back on this side. We don't get to be on the field, but we get to be a part of sending others to the nations and so it's really as we prayed for as the uh, video for China was showing I was just sitting there thinking how privileged we are I got to mentor three girls last year who are now serving in China and to the Chinese people and so we have the privilege of walking with those who are in the application process and getting them somewhere in the world and so thank you once again for allowing us to go and to do what God has called us to do. As Kitty said, I want to say thank you to you for, for helping us, for praying for us, for giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering so that we could be out in Africa all these years. It's been a privilege for us to be out there, and uh, it's a privilege for us to be here with you this morning. As Emma was baptized this morning, I just was looking at some numbers. Do you know that your missionaries last year baptized over 266,000 people just like Emma? around the world, 266,000 plus because you give to Lottie Moon and they can go. What a privilege, what an honor. Uh, there's no other place we'd rather be on Sunday morning than in God's house. And here we are together worshiping this morning and, and sharing. And so uh, I grew up in a, in, a, in a Christian home. I grew up in, a, in, a, in Atlanta, Georgia. And the church I grew up, the building looked very similar to this one. I just feel so at home this morning when Brandon got up and and when they, when they, they shared the music and, and when Emma was baptized and everything that's going on, I just feel so at home here. This is, this is just a part of my DNA where I grew up. And uh, Kitty's the same way. And so uh, we have heard about Lottie Moon all of our lives. Uh, she was a missionary um, who spent about 40 years in China. She, she spent her life there in many ways sharing the gospel with people who had no uh, access to the gospel. And at the age of 72... On the way home from her 40 years uh, out there, she passed away and went to be with the Lord. But uh, she died on Christmas Eve. And so we remember her and we remember what she did and what she stood for and how she, she loved the Lord and how she shared the gospel. And so that's why we have the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, we give so that others can go. Uh, as Kitty encouraged you this morning, I want you to be in prayer about what God would, would, how he would call some out of this church. He's already called some to leave this place and go. 
Uh, we know that uh, there are about 6,000 unreached people groups out there with people in, in, in their language group and in their culture group. 6,000 of those groups, over 2.7 billion people on this earth today who have no access to the gospel. They have no access to the gospel. They have no access to the name Jesus Christ. They have no Bible in their language. They have no songs about Christianity in their language. They have no churches there in their communities. Can you imagine how different Rocky Mount would be if God were to suck out all of the Christian influence of this community and take it all out? Can you imagine what it would look like today, how different it would be if all of the Christian people were taken out of this community? It would be a different place. And so we know that some are going to be called to go. And my dream, and I, and I know it's the dream of many uh, Christians, that, that we would raise up a generation of young people who believe that it's normal to go and to take the gospel to those places where people have never heard. It's not strange. It's not weird. It's normal. When I was a child, my impression of the missionaries, was they, they're, they're hyper-spiritual. They're in some sort of, you know, there's, there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then there's the missionaries, and then... It, they were, and so I thought, I could never do that kind of work because I'm just an ordinary person. Satan has sold us a lie that you've got to be special to do this work. No, no. The disciples who followed Jesus Christ were not special. They were ordinary men. They were ordinary men just like you and me. And God called them out to go and take the good news of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if you had never heard these words? God loves you. Those three words changed my whole life. God loves you. You know, I can make it anywhere in the world. I can be unloved by everybody as long as I know somebody loves me. God loves me. So today, that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about being totally His. That's our, that's our theme this year for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Totally His. We want to be totally His. We want to say, Lord, I want to be yours. Whatever you call me to do, whatever you call on me to do, I will do it. When we lived in Mauritius, I was real close friends with one of the pilots out there. His name was Steve Wright. He's a South African. He has this great South African accent. And he's a pilot that flies these big, these big Airbuses. Uh, and uh, Steve was a wonder, is a wonderful Christian man. He, he loves the Lord. And he said, you know, Randy, for years, I thought I was a pilot who happened to be a Christian. But he said, I've realized today. I'm a Christian who happens to be a pilot. That is my first call. That is my first call. I am totally his. And I'm a Christian first who happens to fly jets. That's what I do for a living. This morning, as I come to encourage you, I want to to tell you, I want to talk about three things. The heart, the hands, and the voice. We go to the nations with the gospel because the heart of God is is for the nations. You see, God's heart is for people. God, I don't think God's preference is land and all the material possessions in this world. I don't think that's what he's concerned about. I think he's concerned about people. He has a heart for people. I've had several people tell me uh, over the years, Randy, uh, missions work has never been on my radar. But let me tell you this morning, it's on God's radar. It has always been on his radar, and it will always be on his radar because God has a heart. God has a heart for the people, for every person that's ever been born on this world. God loves them all. When Jesus said, for God so loved the world, he meant the world, every single person. Every time you lock eyes with a person in Rocky Mount, remind yourself, God loves that person. 
God loves that person. I don't care how horrible they are. I don't care how mean they are. I don't care how bad they are. The gospel is this. J.D. Greer describes the gospel. as He's a pastor of a church in Raleigh. And he's one of our return German. He describes the gospel this way. Here's the gospel. There's nothing you can do to cause God to love you more or to cause God to love you less. That is the gospel that we proclaim. There's nothing you can do today. You can go out and sell your property, sell everything you have and give it all to the poor. God's not going to love you more. You can go out today and commit a horrendous crime. God's not going to love you less. God loves you to the maximum. Okay? God loves you to the maximum. And we know that. And so his heart is for the nations. And so as God uh, calls out people, uh, we, let's turn in our Bibles to, to, uh, to our text today. It's in, it's, in, it's in Matthew chapter 22. This is what God is calling us to do today. I believe that he's calling us to do this today. And I believe that he's calling you as a church Matthew chapter 22, starting with verse 34. I love what Rick Warren says. I always remember this whenever we read the Bible. Rick Warren reminds us, he says this, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Isn't that amazing? When the Bible speaks, God speaks. God is going to speak to us today. Matthew 24, uh, excuse me, Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and and the prophets hang on these two commandments. May God bless the reading of his word. A man came to Jesus, tried to trick him, and basically what he said to Jesus was this, what are the priorities in this life? If we were to translate this into American English today in the year 2013, I would say to Jesus, Jesus, what are the priorities of this life? And Jesus said it's very, very simple, yet profound. Love God, love your neighbor. You know, I can shrink, we can shrink Christianity down into that one line. Love God, love your neighbor. As we've worked with Muslims, with Hindus and, and atheists and animists in Africa, they all seem to agree. When they hear that, they say, that's what Christianity is? Love God, love your neighbor? Yes, that's what this is about. I had a, a young man in Mauritius. He was, grew up in the Catholic faith. He was a non-practicing Catholic. Occasionally he came to our, 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 our church. His, his name was Jean, uh, a Frenchman, a French Mauritian named Jean. And Jean came in, and we got to know him pretty well. And our children got to know his children. Our boys went to school and played soccer with his kids. And uh, one day I was talking with Jean. And I said, he was very discouraged about religion. And about all these things, the dogmas, and all of these things he had grown up with all his life. And he said, Randy, what is this all about? And I said, Jean, this is what Christianity is all about. It's about loving God and loving your neighbor. And you know what Jean's response was? He said, Randy, if that's what it's all about, count me in. Count me in. I want to be a part of that. So we love the Lord God with all our hearts and souls and our minds and our intellects. We love him. And because we love him, we love our neighbors. Now, that's a difficult task to do sometimes, to love our neighbors. 
And I know you may have some neighbors that are not easy to love, but God has called us to love them. You know, uh, recently uh, Nelson Mandela passed away. I'm sure you're all aware of that. He spent 27 years uh, in, uh, in Robben Island prison down off the coast of, of, of South Africa. Now, Kitty and I and our boys have been to South Africa several times on different types of business visits down there. One time we were in Cape Town, and uh, Robben Island is just off the coast down there in the Atlantic Ocean where uh, Nelson Mandela spent 27 years. So we had the privilege of going over to Robben Island to see it. And uh, we got to go in and see the cell that he spent 27 years in that cell. Recently, I was reading, a, uh, I was reading a, a, a devotion by Philip Yancey, and he talked about a young lady named Joanna who was going down to that, she's a South African, she was going to go down and work in that prison, Robben Island prison. And the year before she came, there were over 300 uh, violent acts that took place in that prison. It's a rough place. The, they say the, pr- the, the, the prison guards will allow the prisoners to beat each other up, even, if, even to kill each other. It's a, it's a very difficult prison it was for many years. So Joanna went down there to minister the gospel in this prison, a daunting task. And so the first year she was there, after a full year there, there were three violent acts that took place in that prison. After a year where there were over 300 violent acts. So Philip Yancey, the journalist, was interviewing her later and said, Joanna, tell me what happened. One year there were 300 you know, violent acts. The next year you were there for a year ministering and there were three violent acts. What happened? And she said to Philip Yancey, she said, you know, Philip, it's interesting. She said, God has always been in that prison. He's always been present in Robin Island prison. I just had to go in and make him visible. Let me tell you, that is a mission statement. God is present in this world. He's present in this community. We have to make him visible. We go in as his ambassadors, as his children, and we make him visible. We become his hands. We become his hands. As we touch people's lives, we become his hands. Kitty and I, can, we think of the many people that we've been able to, to, to just know and, and, and meet in these places. In Mauritius, we had a lady that came to our church. We, we got to know her. She was a European lady from Wales. And she uh, was very standoffish with Kitty and I. She didn't really want to get too close to us. And finally, as we got to know her, Kitty was able to ask her, why did you not want to get close to us? She said, Kitty, if you knew my background, you wouldn't want, I I was afraid you wouldn't want me in this church if you knew my background. And Kitty talked with her, said, what is, what happened? She said, I had an abortion. She said, my my husband forced me to have an abortion and, and I just didn't think the church would accept me. And as Kitty got to know her and love her, she became the hands of God as God touched this young woman's life. And this young woman gave her life to Jesus Christ and understood for the first time that there's nothing you can do to cause God to love you more or cause God to love you less. And today, she's walking with Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior who loves us and forgives us. And so, we become the hand. The missionaries become the hands of God as we touch people's lives, as we touch those who are hurting those who are sick. Uh, uh, another story in Mauritius, uh, I was called in one time. A, a lady was dying. A European lady was visiting the island, and her husband, she and her husband were visiting the southern part of the island, and she was dying. She had a stroke. The doctor said she'll never make it through the, line, the night. And so God called on me to go. It came to my attention that she was down there in this hospital, and she was dying. And so I went. 
uh, at midnight with a Mauritian friend of mine. We, we drove down 45 minutes to this place, and we laid hands on this young lady who was dying. And we said, Father, we prayed, Father, the doctors have given her no hope. Her only hope is you. You are the healer. And so we placed these sinful hands, these ordinary human hands, we placed them on this woman's life. And we pray to the God of the heavens. We pray to God Almighty. We pray to Jesus Christ, the one and the only. And he spared her life that evening. We saw a great miracle take place that evening. She lived and we gave God, we gave God the glory. Again, the hands of, of ordinary people touching a life. I think of the hands of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? The hands of the baby. We, 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 we read about him at Christmas. The hands of a baby in that manger. And then the hands of a young boy playing and working. And then the hands of a carpenter. The hands calloused from work. And then the hands of the Messiah touching the lepers. Touching the people that no one else would touch. The hands of the Messiah, the Savior. Touching the prostitutes. Touching the the Pharisees. Touching the, the, the tax collectors. Touching the lepers. No one would touch. And then I think of Jesus' hands. As they nailed him, those hands, to the cross. Somebody said that the day that they... The day that they laid Jesus on that cross and they took a spike and drove it through his hand, the first time they drove that spike through Jesus' hands and destroyed his hands, at that moment, God could understand and relate to every handicapped person who would ever live because those hands became handicapped. You see, God can relate to us and the hands of a Savior. And I remember, as we read in the Gospels, when Jesus rose from the dead. Do you remember when Thomas said, I won't believe unless I can see the scars in his hands. And when I can see the scars in his hands and his feet and his side, then I will believe. Then Jesus came to Thomas and said, take a look at this, Thomas, look. Have you ever asked, have you ever asked yourself why, when Jesus came in his new body, in his resurrected body, why did he still bear the scars? Have you ever asked yourself that question? That's a strange question, isn't it? Why did Jesus, why did he bear the scars? Why does he still have these scars? Paul Brandt, a missionary to India who was a missionary to the lepers, a missionary doctor who used his hands to repair the hands of lepers. Listen to what he said about the resurrected hands of Jesus. He said, I believe Jesus bore those scars and wears those scars today. So for all of eternity, we will never forget what he did for us. We will never forget what Jesus did for us. We will see the scars in his hands and the scar on his side and the scar on his feet. And we will never forget what he has done for us. That's the gospel. And that's what missions is about. Being the hands of God. And also being the voice of God. You see, when we speak the gospel, when we share the gospel verbally with people, when they're able to hear the gospel in their own language. You know, it was Nelson Mandela. I just heard a great quote from Nelson Mandela just yesterday. They said, Nelson Mandela said, he learned the Afrikaans language when he was in prison for 27 years. He learned the Afrikaans language of South Africa because he knew he wanted to be able to speak to the people in their own language. So he learned a second language, the Afrikaners language. 
And this is what Nelson Mandela said about language. When you hear a language you understand, you take that, you, you hear that message in your head. But when you hear a language that you speak, you take that message into your heart, you see. And so, our missionaries go out and they learn languages. Kitty and I had to work on, I won't, I won't say we learned them all. We had to work on three languages. And uh, I'm here to tell you this morning, if language is your fear, then remember this. If you are of average intelligence, you can learn a second language. You can do it. You can do it. With God's help, you can learn a second language. Kitty and I had to go to France and learn French because Rwanda was French-speaking. And then we arrived in Rwanda and we had to learn Kinyugwanda, which is the African language of Rwanda. And so we spent two full years in language study and we thought it was going to kill us. It's, it's, not, it's, not, uh, it's not fatal, it's not terminal, but it's very difficult. But with God's help, we can learn enough language to share the gospel with the nations. And we have missionaries in over 200 countries today speaking the languages of the people where they live. Why? So they can be the voice of God. They can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the people. We had a guy in our, in our church, we had a family in our church in Mauritius, a little small church there. The, the island of Mauritius is 35 miles long, 25 miles wide. It's a very tiny little island. It's a speck in the Indian Ocean, a thousand miles off the coast of East Africa. There are 1.7 million people living on that little tiny island. And so, uh, we had the opportunity to live there for eight years with them, and do you get island fever on a little island like that? Yes, you do. Because the first year you're there, you pretty much see everything you can see. You pretty much go everywhere you can go, and you see everything you can see, and you've tried all the food you can try, and you've done everything you can do in about one year. And after that, it's a long haul out there. Well, there was a young man named Xavier, and he, uh, he was a, a young Mauritian man. Uh, his father was a Frenchman. His mother was a Mauritian woman. Uh, his parents were divorced. He was a very troubled young man in his 20s. And so every time we would go with, to prayer meeting with his, his mother, uh, she, she, would, she would ask us to pray for young Xavier. He's troubled, Randy. He's troubled. Pray for him, please. So we prayed for Xavier for years. So one night I went to see Xavier. I went to go to his place where he was living. He was married to a South African young lady. And in Mauritius, they leave all the windows and doors open on the island. You know, the, 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 the sea breeze comes through. It's, it's amazing. They, 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 think, they, they, they will tell you that air conditioning is... is it's unhealthy. You don't want air conditioning. Leave the doors open. Leave the windows open, and even in the hot weather. And, and, you know, birds will fly through your house out there in Mauritius, and animals will come in your house because the doors are always open. And so we got kind of used to that out there and, and kind of like that. Well, one night I went to see Zabi. Of course, when I arrived at his little house down by the ocean, uh, windows open, doors open. It was night, dark. And so I, I went to the door, looked inside, could not see Xavier. So I said, Xavier, Bonsoir, Xavier, Xavier. So he answered. He was in the back of the house, and he came. And so I went in and sat down with Xavier, and we talked for maybe an hour. And as we talked, I was able just to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with Xavier. I don't know what happened. I don't think I even went over there planning to do that. The door just opened. The conversation led it to that. God just led us to that, that subject, and we began to talk. And I shared the gospel with Xavier. And so I asked Xavier this question. I said, Xavier, when I came to the door tonight, you were in the back of the house. You couldn't see me, could you? He said, no. I said, I called your name. I said, Xavier. Xavier. I said, why did you invite me in? 
He said, because I recognize your voice. I recognize your voice. I knew that was you. I knew it was Randy. I said, is God speaking to you tonight? Do you hear his voice tonight as we've been sharing about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you hear his voice? Do you hear God speaking to you? And he said, yes, I do. I hear him speaking to me. So Xavier responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ that night. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, his life was completely radically changed. Off of drugs, got away from that lifestyle, got away from the friends who were offering him drugs, started leading his home to church, brought his wife and little adopted baby to church, was in church every week, was in men's Bible study with us. The answer to his mother's prayer, because he heard the voice of the Lord speaking to him. Now, how will we hear? How will someone hear if we don't go and tell them? How will they hear? Paul said, how will they hear if if no one tells them? How will they hear? How would you have heard the gospel if no one told you? How would you have heard that God loves you if someone didn't tell you? I I would venture to say that most of us in this room this morning came to know Jesus Christ through a person, a mother, a father, a friend, a sister, a pastor, a teacher. Someone told us about Jesus. The voice of God coming to us through a friend, through a neighbor, through a pastor, through a father. And so we send missionaries so they can raise their voices, they can share the gospel verbally with people who need to hear the good news. That's why we have the Lottie Moon Christmas offering this morning. It's been a privilege for Kitty and I to go to these places and to to share the good news with people in broken homes and in difficult places. Missionaries do a lot of different kinds of work. We we go to a lot of different difficult sort of places uh, where there is poverty, there is hunger, there is rampant disease in Africa. There are many diseases. There's malaria. You, uh, you, you, you wouldn't believe how many times we've been able to share with people who are sick, who are hurting, who are hungry, who are in need of material possessions, who are need, in need of shelter. It's been a great privilege to be out there to do that. And God has, uh, he, will, he, he will always use his people to share the gospel. Uh, someone said this one time, the good news came to you and me on its way to someone else. Always remember that. The good news came to you on its way to someone else. And so we've got to use our voices and we've got to share. We've got to live our lives and we've got to, we've got to encounter people and we've got to actually share with them. God loves you. The voice coming from God's Word. Now, uh, this morning I want to I, I share something with you. That th- Do you realize that yesterday was Pearl Harbor Day in the United States? December 7th, 1941. I grew up in a family, a mother and a father, who are of the World War II era. Many of you know people from that era or or from that era. My Uncle O.D. was on the USS Tennessee at Pearl Harbor next to the Arizona. And my mother and her other five siblings knew that he was there because they had been writing him letters from Tulsa, Oklahoma. They woke up on December 7, 1941, and they read that Pearl Harbor had been bombed. And they realized that he was there. 
And they didn't know for six weeks whether O.D. was alive or dead. And they finally heard the news that he was alive. He had survived this great battle. 353 Japanese airplanes attacked that day. Eight battleships were damaged. Four were sank. Uh, 188 American airplanes were destroyed. 2,402 Americans died that day. Uh, Many on the Arizona. 1,282 were wounded. Only 65 Japanese lost their lives that day in that horrendous battle. The next day, on December 8th, which is today, the United States declared war on Japan 72 years ago today. And let me share with you the reason I want to talk about that today. is because when the United States declared war on Japan, all of the USA got involved. The entire country, from what I can tell, got involved and said, this is our war. This is not a... This doesn't belong to the military alone. This doesn't just belong to the Navy. This is our war. This is our responsibility. And we will do our responsibility. Kitty and I were just in New Orleans, and we got to visit the the World War II War Memorial. If you are ever in New Orleans, go to the World War II War Memorial. It is amazing down. It's a museum. Amazing. These are some of the, the posters that I saw down there that they put out all over the USA during the war. Number one, give up what you want so they can have what they need. There's a job for every Pennsylvanian in these defense efforts. That was one of the slogans. There's a job for every Pennsylvanian in this war effort. I like this one. The war can be won right here if all of us do our part. One said, save your cans, help pass the ammunition. There were many, many slogans that went out all over the U.S. My favorite one is by Rosie the Riveter. Women, many of them couldn't go to the front lines and drive tanks and and fly jets or or fly planes at that time. But they said, you know what? We can put wings on airplanes. We will do our part. Rosie the Riveter said, this is her motto. We can do it. We can do it. I'm here to tell you this morning that if the nations are going to hear the gospel... We're going to have to realize it's our responsibility. This is not the responsibility of those called to missions. You know why? Because we are all called to missions. I used to think, well, the guys that work for the IMB, they're missionaries, they're called to missions. But I'm here to tell you this morning, I'm here to encourage you this morning, no, we are all called. We are all called to missions. The only reason the United States got the task accomplished back in the 1940s in World War II is because the whole nation realized this is our responsibility. Do you realize that 80 years before World War II, our nation was completely divided? It was completely divided. The Civil War, we were completely in division. No unity. We were divided into two nations. We came back together in 1865, and 80 years later, we were 100% united. You know the actor Peter Falk? He did the the TV show Columbo. When the war started, he he had a glass eye, and he knew, I can't pass the eye exam. You know what he did? He memorized the eye chart so he could pass the eye chart and get into the military and go and do his part. My father was 17 years old when the war started. He just graduated from high school. He was too young to enlist, but you know what? He took his father down and said, sign for me. I want to enlist, and he enlisted, and he went. 
I'm, share, I'm sharing with you this morning as a church family, you're called to missions. There are 2.7 billion people who don't know Jesus Christ, who don't even know of Jesus Christ. Our president, Tom Ellis, said that is not acceptable. That is not acceptable in a world where everybody knows about Coca-Cola and everybody knows about Madonna and Michael Jackson. You can go to the interior of Rwanda and you will see people with Michael Jackson t-shirts on and you can buy a Coca-Cola in the interior out there in the middle of nowhere in Rwanda. They know about Coke, they know about Michael, but many of them have never heard about Jesus. That is unconscionable. We must all do our part. Now God is not going to call everyone to go. We know that. Even in World War II, not everyone was called to go. And even those called to go, not not all of them made the front lines. Some of them stayed back and cooked, took care of medical, took care of the, the equipment. Not everybody's called to go. We know that. But we're called to be involved and engaged so that people can hear the good news. I want to encourage you as a church. I want to challenge you as a church this morning. Do your part. Whatever God's called you to do. I wanna, I wanna, this is my challenge to you this morning. We're going to pray. Pastor Brandon's going to pray for us in a moment. I want you to pray and say, Lord, what is my part? What is my part? Show me my part in the nations hearing the good news. Show me my part, and I'll do it. I'll do it. Now, are you willing to do that? Show me my part, Lord. Show me what you want me to do. My father was a layman. He told me, he said, Randy, I'm not called to go, but I'm called to give. I'm called to give. Man, he gave, he gave he, in, in, in a very, uh, uh, you know, generous sort of way. He said, I'm called to give so that some can go. God's going to call some out of this church. He already has. He's going to call more. Some to go. Some to stay. Some to give. Some to pray. All to pray. But will you be a part of this effort so that every person on this earth will have the opportunity to hear these words? God loves you. Je vous aime. Je vous aime. That's how the French hear it. God loves you. That's my challenge to you this morning. We thank you for allowing Kitty and I to be here this morning with you. We love you. We love this church. We are more than friends here. We are brothers and sisters in Christ here. We are in this together. And I say, just as on December 8th, 1941, the U.S. declared war on Japan, we declare war on the satanic forces of this earth. And we say, we will take the gospel to the nations. We will get it done. We will do it. God's given us the resources. He's called us to do it. He's commanded us to do it. His heart is for every person on this this globe. And we will do it. Pray together. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. Thank you for the truth that we've heard this morning. 2.4 billion people in the world have never heard the gospel. I pray, Father, that we're a people that cannot hear that and remain unaffected. So, Father, we pray that today you would find us generous, joyful, sacrificial in our giving of all the things to invest our time, our attention, our money, and our resources in. It'd be the harvest. Father, I also pray 
And I also believe that there are people in this room that are uh, answers to the prayer request that you would send out laborers unto your harvest. And I thank you so much. I, I heard them share it over and over again. You are extraordinary, God. We are ordinary. You will use us. We'll be your hands, your, uh, your voice. And I pray for obedience, Father. If there's anybody here today that you really are calling to the nations, and that, Father, they would resolve in their hearts to, to put their hand to the plow and not look back. Father, I pray now as we seek to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that what we give and other churches around the country give will be used by you to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.